Well, good morning, church. If you're like me, you were, you know, moved and touched by all the ceremonies and the stuff surrounding the passing of President George H.W. Bush a couple of weeks ago. And as you might know, President Bush was a little bit extra special to me as he's the only president I've gotten to spend time with. When I was at Texas A&M, was kind of the, the, the height of President Bush's involvement on campus. So his presidential library is there. So during my time on campus, he was, he was out and about quite a bit, and he worked out a lot. So he came to the rec center where I worked, and we'd always know because the black cars would come. Secret Service comes out. They'd walk into the rec center, walk around, clear, clear. And then about 10 minutes later, President Bush would drive up, and he'd get out, and he'd have on this, this retro 1982 Texas A&M windsuit. He kind of... He'd kind of come like that, and then he'd, he'd, come, into the, uh, he'd come into the rec center and, and say hello to everybody. Hey, Mr. President. Hey, President Bush. What's going on? And, and then he'd typically go to a treadmill, and he'd start jogging, and there'd be Secret Service guys on, on each side. And, and as part of having his library there, what he'd also do, though, is have these, these symposiums sometimes where he'd bring people to campus for, for special occasions. And so one of those symposiums, he brought uh, General Tommy Franks who was the general of the invading army, our, our army when we invaded uh, Iraq. And so President Bush and General Franks come into the rec center, and it's literally the day before my brother flies home from Iraq after serving a, a, a tour there with the, U, with the U, United States Marine Corps. Yeah. So, so President Bush comes in, and he's not too far from me. I go, Mr. President. And he looks over, and I said, you know, come here, come here. <laughs> so President Bush comes over, and he says, ah, you know, hi, Mike, you know. And, and I said, um, Mr. President, I just want to tell you that my brother Daniel is finishing his tour, and he's flying home from Iraq tomorrow. And President Bush goes, is that right? <laughs> he said, hold on a second. He said, Tommy, Tommy, General Franks, come here. So General Franks comes over. I'm, I know you think I'm making this up. I'm really not. I'm really not. I'm legit folding towels, talking to President Bush and General Franks. I put the towels down, and uh, President Bush says, hey, tell, tell General Franks what you just told me. I said, well, General Franks, my brother, been serving for a year. He's on his way home. And General Franks goes, let me tell you something, Michael. He says, you tell your brother Daniel that President Bush and General Franks are proud of him and welcome home. And so I called my brother the next day as he was in transit coming home. I said, hey, bro, I was just talking to 41. And my man, General Franks, they say hello and welcome home. And he was like, yeah, whatever. I was like, no, I'm actually totally serious. And then he, he said, Man, your life just is really annoying. <laughs> and, uh, and so as I watched the funeral and stuff, it was just special because I, I really do love President Bush. And, and one of my favorite moments was when Michael W. Smith sang his song, Friends. And uh, there's a powerful p- lyric in there. And it says, and friends are friends forever if the Lord's the Lord of them. 
And a friend will not say never, because the welcome will not end. Though it's hard to let you go, in the Father's hands we know that a lifetime's not too long to live as friends. And, and I love this song because it captures this beautiful truth that when we are in Christ, when we share the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, we share in a friendship and in a relationship that has no end. That death can't destroy, that distance cannot destroy, that we have a bond that lasts even beyond this lifetime because of our relationship in Christ. And this became a little bit more personal for me um, in the last week or so uh, because this morning will be my final sermon at Wayside. Late, late last week, I accepted the call to be the new senior pastor at Christ Community Church in Little Rock, Arkansas. And so next month, the Loudermilk crew is going to, we're going to load up our wagon, we're going to get in our Honda Odyssey, and we're going to make the long journey across the Texas state line to a faraway place called Arkansas. And so we, we as a family are obviously filled with a lot of emotions at this time. Um, a lot of emotions. We are legitimately excited. We have felt a stirring in our heart about this opportunity. We believe and are praying that God would do a mighty work in, in and through Christ Community Church. And we are prayerfully expecting and hoping to be a part of that. So we have a peace about it. We're excited about it. Um, but we are really, really sad. I mean, devastatingly sad to be leaving Wayside Chapel. And it's hard to leave because this is home. And this is where we grew up. Um, This is where Victoria's family is. And this is where our Wayside family is. Our life group sat in the front row just to make it even harder on me uh, this morning. It's where our life group is. and, And we love, love Wayside Chapel. And so with that being said, what I want to do this morning is I, I want to preach. Because this is, this is not about me. It's not about ever any one person. This is about, we gather this morning to worship God. We gather this morning to, to receive from the Spirit and worship, to, to look at His Word and learn together. So that's what we're going to do. But I'm probably going to get emotional And so if you'll just bear with me along the way as we unpack this passage and I just share a few things about it and a few things from my heart, hopefully we can can get through this together. I was going to put a wisecrack, kind of a joke in here at this moment in time about me having, you know, my allergies were acting up. And then yesterday, like 10,000 mountain cedar blew in (laughs) and my allergies are acting up. So it kind of fits. We're going to look at a passage in, in the book of Acts. And we taught on Acts a couple of years ago, but as you think about the book of Acts, it really breaks down into roughly three sections. The first eight chapters are, you know, Christ is resurrected, we have his ascension, we have the the launching of the church, 
And it really focuses on the ministry of the apostle Peter. But then in chapter 9, we have this dramatic moment where this man named Saul gets confronted by, by God himself on the road to Damascus. His name is changed to Paul, and he becomes the great first missionary of the church. And so in the next few chapters, kind of unpacking Paul's development in what is section 2. And then section 3 really picks up when the missionary journeys start. And the book of Acts chronicles three missionary journeys of the apostle Paul. And that's really the rest of the book. The first one, he goes into Asia Minor, and he goes out, he ministers, he plants churches, he preaches the gospel, and then he comes back. The second one, he goes out again, but this time, instead of just staying in Asia, he gets what's called the Macedonian call. And Paul actually leaves Asia Minor, and he goes to Europe. He takes the gospel to Europe, to Philippi. And plants a church there and spends time in Europe before coming back around. And as he's ending that journey, he comes to a city called Ephesus. And as he gets there, he preaches. They receive. There's some people who receive the gospel. And they're like, Paul, set up shop here. Pitch your tent here. Stay with us. And Paul says, I got to go. He says, but I'm going to try to come back. I'm going to try to come back. And on the third missionary journey, that's exactly what he does. He goes to Ephesus, and he spends over three years in Ephesus. He spends more time in Ephesus than any other place throughout these journeys. So this is a church that is special to him. This is a people that are special to him. This is a place that is very special to him. And yet, after three years, Paul becomes convinced that the Lord is calling him somewhere else. And here's the thing, it's not because his ministry was failing. It's not because he was bumping up against these these roadblocks and the gospel wasn't going forth and people were rejecting him and he just said, you know what, forget about it. I'm moving on to a place where people are going to like me. That's not Paul at all. I mean, the gospel was going forth in great power, with great power. In chapter 19, the chapter before the one we're going to look at this morning, but just to give you a taste of it, In verse 17, it says, This became known to all, which is the signs and wonders and the power of God, both Jews and Greeks who lived in Ephesus. And fear fell upon them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was being magnified. Many also of those who had believed kept coming, confessing and disclosing their practices. And many of those who practiced magic brought their books together and began burning them in the sight of everyone. And they counted up the price of them and found it 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord was growing mightily and prevailing. Now, after these things were finished, Paul purposed in the spirit to go to Jerusalem. After he had passed through Macedonia and Achaia, saying, After I've been there, I must also see Rome. So Paul's ministry is thriving in Ephesus. The gospel is going forward. People are coming to faith. People's lives are being transformed. And in the midst of that, Paul says, I'm supposed to go somewhere else. And he purposes in his spirit to go to Jerusalem. And he leaves Ephesus. And we see him, his leaving in chapter 20 and verse 17. And it's one of those just kind of raw, powerful, emotional, devastating, beautiful, spiritual 
just scenes in all the scriptures. As he is with the elders there on the shores of Ephesus about to set sail. And so what I want to do is I want to read that entire section. It's, it's fairly long, but I want to read that entire section and then just offer a few thoughts and comments on it with the rest of our time. Picking up in verse 17. It says, From Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called to him the elders of the church. And when they had come to him, he said to them, You yourselves know from the first day that I set foot in Asia how I was with you the whole time, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials which came upon me through the plots of the Jews. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you publicly and from house to house, solemnly testifying to both Jews and Greeks of repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, bound by the Spirit, I am on my way to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit solemnly testifies to me in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions await me. But I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself, so that I may finish my course and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus, to testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God. And now, behold, I know that all of you, among whom I went about preaching the kingdom, will no longer see my face. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole purpose of God. Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, And from among your own selves, men will arise, speaking perverse things, to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be on the alert, remembering that night and day, for a period of three years, I did not cease to admonish each one with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I have coveted no one's silver or gold or clothes. You yourselves know that these hands minister to my own needs and to the men who are with me. And everything I showed you that by working hard in this manner, you must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, that he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. When he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And they began to weep aloud and embraced Paul and repeatedly kissed him, grieving especially over the word which he had spoken that they would not see his face again. And they were accompanying him to the ship. So it's this, it's this really emotional scene. It's this really just powerful, powerful picture of Paul and, and the leaders of the church in Ephesus there. And, and so I want to just share a few things and in, and in the process really share my heart with you. And the first one is this, is that Paul and the Ephesian church shed tears because there was genuine love. There was genuine love between Paul and the Ephesians and their leaders. And we love Wayside Chapel. I mean, my family loves Wayside Chapel. I love the staff. I love the, the feel. I love the music. I love the spirit of the place. Um, I love the weird smell of the Ivywood houses. 
Um, but most of all, I, I, I love the people. I love the people of Wayside. It's what makes this place so special. And because of that, we are sad. We are sad to leave. Um, but the tears that we have been crying are not just tears of sadness, but they're also tears of, of real gratitude to have been a part of this church for almost a decade. I mean, when I say this is home, I, I got married right here. I got married right here. Sean Hughes, who was in the first service, he, he officiated our wedding. I got baptized by Pastor Roger right there. I got three, all three of my kids were dedicated by Roger right there. Um, I was ordained right here by the elders of the church as a minister. And I preached my first sermon roughly right here <laughs> in this, this box. I mean, this, this place is, is home. And you are family. This is family, and, and it makes it tough. But we just want to tell you how thankful we are to have been a part of this and to have been loved so well by the people here. As I mentioned, I, I love the Wayside staff. I mean, we have an amazing team, amazing team that has been assembled here. It, it is an incredible joy to work with the people I get to work with here at Wayside. And I will miss them greatly. They are gifted and committed. They are humble and hardworking. They, they are great friends, and I'm going to miss them. I'm thankful for the elders of Wayside, men who have had my back from the very beginning, who have championed me from day one, and who have supported me throughout this entire process. And I'm thankful for our elders. And, um, and I'm obviously incredibly indebted to Roger. So I'm not going to look at him, but um, I've told this story before, but I really felt like God was, was calling me out of coaching about seven years ago, and I had no idea what that meant, but I just felt like God was doing something in me, and he was tuning my heart for vocational ministry, and uh, we had an opening at Wayside, and so I emailed, I emailed Roger, I said, hey, I'm not qualified, because I went on the job site, you know, and it was like, seminary degree, no, uh, college ministry experience, no, church ministry experience, no, you know, graduate middle school, yes, okay, <laughs> all right, I got a shot, and uh, I wrote him an email, and I said, hey, can we talk about the position, but just talk about even more than that, and uh, he said, sure, why not lunch this Sunday, so after church one Sunday, we went to uh, Taco Cabana, and I was, he's a big spender, y'all know that, and I uh, <laughs> uh, went there, and I got one taco, because I was pretty nervous, and I remember just sitting there with him, and, and I said, um, you know, Roger, I don't know what I'm doing, I don't, I don't know what I'm doing, but I feel like God's doing something in me, and uh, I don't know if you want me at Wayside, and that's fine. 
But I think God is calling me into ministry, and I think God is preparing me to be a lead pastor one day. And I think you do it well. So whatever happens, I just want, I want to learn from you. And, um, and that's what I've done. And from day one on staff here at Wayside, Roger has treated me and has uh, really looked at me as a future senior pastor. From day one. And, um, and that's meant a lot. And so even these past few years, is when you preach at Wayside and you start getting up here quite a bit, people start, ping, different churches start, you know, emailing you and things like that. And so opportunities would come and I would go to Roger. And we would process it together. And he would say, no, that's terrible. <laughs> or not. But it was just invaluable to have somebody to process that with. And when it became more and more likely that I was about to leave Wayside, I, all of a sudden I felt this real sense of guilt. I mean, Wayside's poured so much into me. Roger's poured so much into me. And just when the time comes when I can really kind of come alongside and ease his burden a little bit and take some of that load, I leave. And, and I, was, I was just feeling this guilt, and we sat in his office, and I, I began to share with him how I was feeling. And he said, Michael, stop. He said, you owe me nothing. He said, you owe Wayside nothing. He said, you have to follow God. And then he quoted Third John, where he says, I have no greater joy than this than to hear my children walking in the Lord. And, and having that blessing from him and that blessing from the elders was so powerful for me in this process because it, it was incredibly difficult. But I just want you to know that that is the type of senior pastor we have here at Wayside who pours his heart and soul into somebody knowing that they probably are going to fly. And when that time comes, he says, go. Because that's what you need to do. And so it, it's just been an incredible privilege to learn and to serve under Roger these past six and a half years. And I'm forever indebted to him in that regard. Besides saying thank you, the, the second thing I want to say is that, and I mean this from the bottom of my heart, I think Wayside, Wayside is an incredibly strong position right now. Wayside is in a great place. Wayside has great leadership at the, at the top with Roger and the elders, great leadership in the staff. But Wayside has great leadership within the people. I mean, that's one of the things that makes Wayside so special. People ask me sometimes, well, describe Wayside to me. And I always tell them, I, here's, here's what I'd say. I'd say pound for pound, pound for pound, this church loves God like no other church I know. When I describe Wayside, I say, it is a people who are committed to the gospel. They're committed to the scriptures. They're committed to the mission of God. It is a special, special group. And so I I feel very confident that going forward, Wayside is an incredible position. To be as much or if not more of a blessing the next 60 years than Wayside has been in the previous 60 years. 
So when Paul exhorts the elders there in Ephesus to shepherd the flock, I have great confidence that Wayside is going to do an amazing job at that to the glory of God. And that gives me great peace and joy as we leave as well, knowing the strength of Wayside. Knowing the strength of Wayside. Thirdly, I want to I ask you to pray for me and my family in this transition. Because this is, this is hard. This is really hard for us. Um, it's especially hard on my wife, Victoria. She is a San Antonio girl. This is the only place she's lived. We have lots of family here. Her family's here this morning. And she loves herself some wayside. Loves our small group, our life group. And she's seven months pregnant, right? Incredibly difficult. As a matter of fact, I think there's probably a chance we're going to get to Arkansas. They're going to be like, what kind of man does this? (laughs) Get off to a bad start. You can pray for me that I would receive favor from the people there. But Victoria is, um, she is incredible. Just incredible. In the first service, she was dropping Luke off, so she wasn't here at the very beginning. And I was like in panic mode. And um, so she came in a few minutes late, and I said, I need you by my side. She goes, no, I was, you know, I was dropping Luke off. I was like, no, I need you by my side. Because without you, I got, I got no shot at this. We got no shot. And so it, she has been such a blessing to me and such a blessing throughout this process. And I'm forever grateful for her. And as you pray for us, I want to I speak truth to, to uh, something else that I think is really powerful. And that I wanted to make sure I shared. No matter where I am. No matter where all of you end up, we are partners in gospel. We are partners in the gospel as, as brothers and sisters in Christ, but also because we have participated in one another's ministry. We are in this together. And as I was thinking about this week as I was reading the book of Philippians, because earlier I mentioned this idea of the Macedonian call, that Paul is going this way. Instead, he says, no, I'm going to go to Europe. He goes to Philippi. He doesn't spend a ton of time there, but he ministers to the people, plants a church, and then later on, he writes them a letter. And that letter is called the book of Philippians. And I want you to notice how Paul opens his letter to this church in Philippi that he didn't even spend an enormous amount of time with. Starting in verse 1, chapter 1, it says, Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 3, I thank my God and all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all. People typically stop there. That's what's on the Christmas card. But look at verse 5. In view, in view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. For it is only right for me to feel this way about you all, because I have you in my heart. 
Since both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you are all partakers of grace with me. You see, they they became united in the gospel by the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. They participated in one another's ministries. Paul participated in the Philippian ministry. And then from then on, the Philippians get to participate in Paul's ministry. So when he writes them years later in the book of Philippians, he talks about their participation in his current ministry. Because they are knit together for all time. Their ministries and their lives are linked together for all time. So my family is going to Little Rock. We're going to Little Rock. So our participation is going to look a little bit different. But we are linked in the gospel. And whatever God does through Christ Community Church in the days and the years to come, Wayside gets to share in that. Wayside is a part of that ministry. And whatever happens here at Wayside, In the days and the weeks and the months and the years to come, we as as a family, we get to participate in that. We are forever linked together in the work of the gospel. And you have been with us, as Paul writes, from the very beginning. From the very beginning. The things that I have learned at Wayside... The people that I have met here, the love that we have experienced here at Wayside will be with us forever. Just like the Philippians' love Paul took with him forever. And I don't, I don't look, I don't want to be overdramatic. We're just going to Little Rock. So, you know, it's just a day's drive. Um, but we, we love this church. It's a special place. It's a special people, and we are going to miss you greatly. And we have family here in San Antonio. So we're going to be visiting. And when we visit, we're going to go to church. And when we go to church, we're going to go to Wayside, a community rooted in the Word, reaching out to the world. Reproducing Christ followers. We're going to come home to Wayside. I was, I was, I was thinking last night, how do, I, how do you finish a sermon like this? What should I close with, you know? And um, I decided I wanted my last words preaching at Wayside to be about the greatest thing that there's ever been. And the greatest person that there's ever been. And the greatest news that there's ever been, which is the gospel. You see, I believe that there is a God who exists eternally as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And He exists outside of space and time. And there was a time when there was nothing but God. And yet He was completely satisfied in Himself. He was in need of nothing from human hands, as Acts 17 says. But in God's great love, and as a result of God's great grace, and the love within the Trinity, he created. 
And that love overflowed into creation as a, as a sharing, as a, as a self-giving of our God. And so he created, and, and the scriptures tell us that all that he created was good. It was good. And then he, he created humanity last, and, and humanity was, was unique. Humanity was different. Humanity was created in the image of God. See, we, we, there's something special about being human, isn't there? There's something special. We're made in the image of our creator. We make moral choices. We love. We have relationships. We, we hurt. We have, we have true personhood because of a personal God who's created us in his image with infinite value and dignity and worth. And we were created to be in relationship to God, to know him and to make him known. And yet that relationship was severed. That relationship was, was that fellowship between God and his people was destroyed by what we call sin. Anything we say, think, or do that goes against God's design. And all of us have turned our back on God. All of us. All of us have rebelled. The Bible says that for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And we feel it. We, fe- we see it in our world. We see the brokenness of our world. And even more than that, we see the brokenness in our own life. We know we are not as we should be. We know that things are not as they ought to be. We know it in the core of our being. That something has gone wrong. And it went wrong for our parents and their parents and their parents all the way to the beginning. And so because of that sin, we have been separated from our holy God in fellowship. And the very thing that we were created for, we did not have the power to experience ourselves. But God, his great love and mercy, he said, we're going to find a way. And so in the Old Testament, they they would offer sacrifices. They would offer sacrifices for their sin. And they would know when that lamb was to be slaughtered or when that animal's blood started pouring out. They'd know that that was happening because of something they did. That they were responsible for that. And it was a reminder to them of God's holiness. And it was a reminder to them of the pain and the heartache and the destruction of their sin. But those sacrifices were only like paying the minimum payment on a, on a credit card debt that you could never pay off. And so God did what only God could do. The one who exists in, as, a, as three in one. And the Father sent the Son. And the Son of God was born in a manger. Fully God, fully man. It's what we celebrate at Christmas. The God-man, our Lord Jesus Christ. God in the flesh. Emmanuel, God with us. And Jesus lived a perfect life. The life we could not live before willingly going to the cross to die the death that we deserved in our place and for our benefit. And on the cross there on Good Friday, he said, it is finished, paid in full. Paid in full. And he didn't stay dead. Amen. Because on the third day, he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. Just like he had promised. Tear down that temple and three days I will raise it up. 
And on the third day, Easter morning, that tomb was empty, declaring victory over death, victory over sin. And the one thing that we could not do, which was restore our relationship to our creator, Christ Jesus did for us. And his great work on the cross and in the resurrection, his righteousness is given to us when we come to him in faith. And when we trust in Christ, we receive the forgiveness of our sins. It is eliminated as far as the east is from the west. For God will remember them no more. Past, present, and future. He gives us the gift of the Holy Spirit. A deposit, a down deposit, down payment of our salvation. Promising to us that God will never leave us nor forsake us. And that he will complete that which he began as he conforms us to the image of Christ. And when we die, and we go home to be in glory, God promises he will raise us again in our glorified bodies. And we will go to Eden the way it should have been and was promised from the beginning, where there will be no more sin, no more disease, no more heartache. And God will dwell with his people like he never has before. That is the message of the gospel. That is the greatest news that, is ever, that could ever be shared. That is why we gather on Sunday morning. It's why you go off into your own ministries and your workplaces and your schools and you love people and you share with them the greatness of our God. It's why I'm going to Little Rock. We want to see the gospel go forth everywhere. So Wayside, I am, we love you. We are so thankful to be Waysiders. And we will always hold this time and the people here in our heart and cherish our time at Wayside. And so thank you. But even more than that, thank you and praise God. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him, all creatures here below. Praise him above ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Let's pray. Father, you are so good. You are so gracious to us. And this time of the year, during Christmas, we are overwhelmed by the fact that you came near, that our Lord Jesus Christ took on flesh as a baby in a manger. So, Lord, we worship you this morning. And, God, Father, I thank you for this church. I thank you for the faithfulness of the people of Wayside Chapel, the impact Wayside Chapel. You have used Wayside Chapel to have these past 60 years. And, God, we pray, oh, Father, for 60 more fantastic years, and then another 60 until you come back. May Wayside be a lighthouse for the gospel. Father, I thank you for allowing my family to be a part of this family. I pray your blessing upon the people here, and um, Father, I pray that they would know how dear they are to you, how dear they are to my family. And how thankful we are for each one of them.
Father, we give you praise. We thank you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we want to pray for the Loudermilk family. And um, in Romans twelve fifteen it says, Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. And um, we are rejoicing with you, Victoria and Michael, at what God is doing. And we're also, we're grieving. We're grieving with you at the loss here, and we're grieving the loss to us. Uh, but in 2 Timothy 2, 2, it says, And these things which you've heard me share in the presence of many witnesses, entrust them to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. And you are a faithful man. <clears throat> and we're sending you out to teach others what you've been taught and what God has entrusted to you. So I'm going to ask you to kneel down, and uh, we join us as elders, praying for this family. Lord God, we thank you for the louder milks. We thank you for this, this man and this woman. Father, I, I do remember that day vividly, just standing out in the hallway, praying with these two as they were preparing to become a husband and wife. And Father, over that time, you have blessed them. You bless them with four children, with Elijah and Luke and Caleb, and now their little girl, Abigail, that's still growing within Victoria's womb. We thank you for the blessing that this family has been uh, to so many, to so many here at Wayside and beyond, and Father, the, the blessing they're going to be to that family of Christ Community Church and the community of Little Rock and beyond. Father, we thank you that this is a faithful man. We thank you, Father, for the privilege that we've had to pour into and be poured into by him, to walk with him. We thank you, Father, for uh, watching him grow in his walk with you, being baptized, going to seminary, completing his first degree and being ordained. And now as he's back at Dallas, continuing to work on his, his THM, we pray, Lord, you would continue to help him and as he completes those studies, as he takes the mantle of pastor at Little Rock. Father God, we thank you for his life and labors that have been here, and Father, for what he's going to do there in uh, Christ Community Church. Father, we've sent out many missionaries here at Wayside, and we're sending out the Loudermilks as missionaries to be uh, your representatives there in that community. And Father, as the senior pastor... Uh, Michael is going to take up a mantle that he's not had before. He's been a faithful pastor. He's borne many burdens here. He's been faithful in teaching the word, but as the lead shepherd, uh, Father, your word is clear that he has a big target on his back. Uh, the Bible says, strike the shepherd and scatter the sheep. And so I pray, Father, you would surround him and his family with your hand of protection. Would he be a man who is faithful to you? Would he be a man who would turn from sin and temptation? Would he... Be faithful, Father, to teach your word. Would he not be one who would compromise the truth, even when others want him to? Father, you tell us in your word that uh, they will seek out people who will tickle their ears, 
but Father, I pray he would be a man who would be faithful to teach the truth, but teach it in love. I pray, Lord, you would give him the wisdom that he needs to, to carry that role as the senior pastor. He's already a wise man. He's already learned so much, but there are going to be things that he needs you, Holy Spirit, to teach him, to grow him in. And so I pray you would give him that entrustment. Father, I pray the same for Victoria. She's a wise woman and a gracious lady. But, Lord, she's stepping into the role as the senior pastor's wife. And because of that, there are going to be expectations on her that have not yet been placed on her before. I pray, Lord, you would help her to know what to do in those times. I pray, Father, that she would be uh, just one who continues to walk with you. I pray for their children. Father, for Elijah, Luke, and Caleb, and little Abigail. I pray, Father, that you would protect them from the expectations as pastor's kids. Father, would they represent you not as the children of the senior pastor of Christ Community Church, but as children of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords? Would they walk with you because they belong to you and represent you? So, Father God, we thank you for this family. We thank you for who they are and what they've already done and what you're going to continue to do in through them. We love them, and we send them out with your blessing. We pray these things in Jesus' holy name. Amen.